Well, come on. Come on, Rock City, wherever you are. Come on. Can we worship Jesus today? Can we celebrate him? Hey, I want to welcome you wherever you're at right now. If you're watching at home, welcome. If you're watching on ABC6 or in a prison cell, welcome. Uh, I don't know if all of you know this, but we have hundreds of prisons across 45 states, more than a half a million men and women behind bars who have access to this message every single week. And I just want you to know that uh, it is an absolute honor. It is the highest honor to be with you where you are. And, and hey, for the second week in a row now, I didn't say anything last week. I'm sorry about that. But today I've got to welcome our newest family from Fox 45 in Dayton. Come on, somebody, make some noise. Let's welcome our family from Fox 45 in Dayton. If you're joining us in the Dayton area, come on, welcome. You're up early. I think it's at eight o'clock on Sunday morning on Fox 45 in Dayton, but we welcome you. If you're joining us for the first time, it is an honor to worship with you today. And uh, hey, I've just got two really important things to say before we dive into the message today. So if y'all can just lean in, I need you to listen real close to what I'm about to say because how you hear this now is gonna determine how you hear the entirety of this message. So, so here, here's the first thing. This is really, really important, okay? Pay attention. You might not have noticed the little thing we put up on the screen right at the beginning of this message that said this message was recorded on Tuesday morning, Tuesday morning, November 3rd at 8 o'clock in the morning. But if you, didn't, if you didn't see it when we put it up there, I'm telling you, this message was recorded on Tuesday morning. What does that mean? It means that you're getting this five days later, and right now I have no idea how the elections turned out or if it's even turned out at all. Come on, somebody. Uh, I don't know if you're despondent, if you're excited, and, and it's really important that you understand this because I don't want you looking at me like Pastor Chad's got a smirk on his face while I'm up in here suffering. Man, I'm, 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 I'm mad. Like he, he, He's so happy right now, and, and half the country's on fire. I don't know. I hope that's not the case, but I don't know if half the country's on fire today. I, I don't know if we even know who the president is today. I just I need you to know that I'm preaching to you before we find out. So, hey, that really matters. And, um, and the second thing I, I, I want to remind you all of today is I know some of you have been asking, when will it be time for us to meet again in the flesh, in person, at all of our locations? And um, you all have been wondering, and I, I told you last week, I'm going to tell you again today, it is time next weekend. Come on, somebody. Next Sunday, it's time to open the Sunday doors of this church again. It's time. At every one of our locations, Short North, come on, open doors in the Short North, Hilliard Campus, open doors at our Hilliard Campus on Sunday, and for the first time, our brand new Polaris Campus launches next Sunday, November 15th. Bring yourself to church, bring your family, your friends to church, and, and, and listen, uh, unless you're in a high-risk category and you're not quite ready to, to, to come out your shell quite yet, I understand that. You can still watch on TV. You can still join us online. We're going to keep that going. But at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. and at 5 p.m. at all three locations next Sunday, we're going to be live and in person. I, I want to encourage you to join us because here, here's the deal. Um, you, you, just can't, you just can't get it on your couch in your living room like you can get it on the front row in church surrounded by your brothers and sisters in Christ. I, I, I just have to tell you that there is an anointing 
and in a presence that, that is just undeniable when the people of God gather together, when we come together in one room to worship the King of Kings. And I know, listen, again, no matter who sits on the throne of Washington today, we might not even know who it is yet. I don't know. But whoever it is, here's what I know. Jesus sits on a throne that is higher than ours. And when we come together, the people of God, to worship him, when we fill up these rooms and we worship him, there is a corporate anointing that you can't get any place so come on, next weekend, November 15th, it's time, amen? Anybody excited? Where's the staff at? You excited? Come on, the staff in the house today. It's been, it's been a while. It's been a while. By, by, by next weekend, it will have been nine months since we've met together in person, and I, for one, can't wait. Even to meet so many of you who've joined our church during this quarantine. There's been so many. I, I bet there's literally been thousands of people who've joined our church over the last nine months when we've not even been meeting in person. And so for some of you, this is going to be the first time that you get to worship with us live and in person. And I can't wait to meet so many of you starting next weekend. So, all right, I got it out of the way. I don't know who's president today. We're joining together in person next week. Those are the first two opening announcements. But right now, we're going to close out our series that we call Judges and Kings this is the final week of this series. And I want us to be reminded that God doesn't need good people to do good work. Matter of fact, when we read the stories of Judges and Kings all throughout the scriptures, we're reading the stories of men and women, many of whom were greatly used by God, many of whom failed miserably, all of whom failed at least once, fell short, a lot of whom fell short a lot and in significant ways. And yet God continued to use them, just like God continues to use us when we fall short. God's purpose continued to prevail in spite of the people that he chose to use, just like God's purpose continues to prevail all throughout the earth today in spite of our failings and shortcomings. Last week, we studied the first two kings of Israel. We compared King Saul with King David. King David, the, the most famous of all kings who had an illicit affair with a woman named Bathsheba, a woman he wasn't married to. King David, who had this woman's husband killed, not just to hide and cover up his affair, but to hide the fact that this woman was now carrying David's child, a child that they together conceived, and yet that child died, and David's heart was completely broken. They conceived a second child together, and they named the second child Solomon. And you're going to know him as King Solomon. Solomon becomes the third king of Israel. Solomon wrote the book of Proverbs, the book of Ecclesiastes. Solomon uh, built the temple his father was unable to build. Solomon becomes one of the most successful and prosperous kings ever to live. And what I would say about Solomon is that no child was born with more promise than Solomon. Solomon was born to a king. He was born to a man after God's own heart. He was born to both privilege and promise. Matter of fact, his own father, David, gets to appoint his son Solomon as king after him. And here's what David says in 1 Kings Chapter two, it says, at the time of King David's death approached, he gave this charge to his son Solomon. I am going where everyone on earth must someday go. Basically, he's saying, son, I'm, I'm dying. Like, I'm, I'm not gonna be with you much longer. 
Take courage and be a man. Observe the requirements of the Lord your God and follow all of his ways. Which, by the way, if you you wonder, what, what does it mean to be a man? To be a man means to follow the Lord. That's what it looks like to be a man. How many of you know, just like a few weeks ago, I said it's time for for a mother's heart to to arise in this nation. Anybody remember? It's time for a mother's heart to arise. How many of you would agree it's time for some men of God to take a stand for God? Come on, somebody. It's time for the men of God to arise. It's time for men to be men the way God has called us to be men. What does it mean to be a man? It means to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. To walk in not just some of his ways, but all of his ways. Be a man. Keep the decrees, commands, regulations, and laws written in the law of Moses so that you will be successful in all that you do. Wherever you go, if you do this, then the Lord will keep the promise that he made to me, David. He told me, if your descendants live as they should and follow me faithfully with all their heart and soul, one of them will always sit on the throne of Israel. I want you to notice this, that, that Solomon's success as king is guaranteed. At the very beginning, it's guaranteed. His, his success as king is, is guaranteed so long as he would choose to follow the Lord, to walk in his ways. The Bible says that as a young king, Solomon loved the Lord and he followed all the decrees of his father, David. He starts off well, but, but how many of you know it's not how you start, it's how you finish. It's not how you start, it's how you finish. Matter of fact, on the, the, the wall of my office, I have these words, run fast, fight hard, finish strong. On another wall, I've got the verse, Acts chapter 20, verse 24, the words of the Apostle Paul, who said, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race, to complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. He's saying my only aim is not to start the race. Many will start the race and not finish the race. My only aim is to finish the race that I've been called to run. Solomon, he, he starts off well. Solomon starts off loving the Lord. Solomon was given an incredible promise by God. He's guaranteed success as king so long as he follows the Lord, not just some of his way, but all of his way. And and can I just say, church, it will always be well with you should you follow the way, the will, the word of the Lord doesn't mean there's not going to be challenges. doesn't mean you, you won't walk through a storm now and again. It doesn't mean that you won't have trials and tribulation and hardship, but it will always be well with you so long as you choose to follow him, to trust him, to acknowledge him, to honor him, to put God first. Well, Solomon loves the Lord. He wants to put God first and One day, as a result of Solomon's love for God and his desire to worship the Lord and honor the Lord, he he brings this incredible offering to God. He presents God with an extravagant sacrifice, and God is so pleased with the offering that Solomon brings to him that God gives Solomon every young man's dream God says, you've got one wish. Come on, somebody. 
you've got one wish, what's it gonna be? How many of you would say unlimited wishes? Come on. I'm gonna give you one thing, whatever you want from me, you can have it. I, I want unlimited wishes. God says, ask for whatever you want me to give to you and I'm gonna give it to you. Can you imagine God showing up in your life and just laying it out like that? Like you've so captivated my heart. God says, I, I will give you whatever you ask me for. What's it gonna be? Now, we don't know exactly how old Solomon is here, but we can, we can take certain dates and certain milestones along the way recorded in Scripture, and we can deduct from that that Solomon was somewhere between the ages of 15 and 20 when he became king. I don't know how many 20-year-olds I'd feel comfortable running the, the nation or the world, let alone 15-year-olds. But notice Solomon in, in his youth, he, he doesn't ask God for an Xbox. He, he doesn't ask God for a, a new Lamborghini. He doesn't ask God for unlimited wishes. Solomon answered, you've shown great kindness to your servant, my father David, because he was faithful to you and righteous and upright in heart. You've continued this great kindness to him and you've given him a, a son to sit on this throne this very day. And, and now, Lord my God, you have made your servant king in place of my father, David. Notice Solomon is recognizing in this moment, God, you've made me king. I've not made me king. You've put me here. You've given me this moment. But I'm only a child. and I don't know how to lead. Your servant is here among the people that you've chosen, God, a great people, too numerous to count or to number. So here's what I need from you, Lord. Give your servant a discerning heart. If I'm going to lead the way you've called me to lead, I need some wisdom. So give me wisdom to govern your people and to distinguish between right and wrong. For Who is able to govern this great people of yours? Solomon in his Young, at this young age, in this moment, this critical moment of Solomon's life, he says, God, I need wisdom. Do you know in James chapter 5, it literally says this, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God for it, who will give to anybody who asks for wisdom generously without finding fault. Proverbs chapter 2 verse 6 says, wisdom comes from God. If any of you lack wisdom, ask God for it, and he will give it to you generously. Well, the Lord was pleased that Solomon had asked for this. And so God said to him, since you've not asked for anything else, you've asked for this and not for long life, not for wealth, for yourself, nor have you asked for the death of your enemies. How many of you would ask for the death of your enemies? Come on. God says, I'm going to give you one thing. Yeah. Can you wipe out my in-laws? Come on, somebody. Like, like, can, you, can you wipe out everybody who voted differently than me? Can you, can you just wipe out? Can you just wipe out this person? No. Because you didn't ask me for that. But for discernment and administering justice, I will do what you have asked. I will give you a wise and discerning heart so that there will never have been anyone like you, nor will there ever be. Moreover, I will give you what you've not asked for. I'll give you both wealth and honor so that in your lifetime, you will have no equal among kings. And if you walk in obedience to me and you keep my decrees and my commands as David your father did, I will give you a long life. Nobody has it better than Saul when he starts. But it's not how you start. It's how you finish. God promises Solomon 
a long life. He promises to protect and preserve the, the kingdom, his, his people, but the downfall of, of, of Solomon has already begun. Matter of fact, his downfall begins as he's making his way to offer the sacrifice to the Lord. It says that Solomon, before making this incredible sacrifice to God, made first a treaty with Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. Now, this sounds like something a king is supposed to do. We, we as kings make treaties with other kings. It, it doesn't seem so out of bounds. But understand, God is the one who's promised to protect his people. Solomon needs no treaty with any foreign king, but instead of trusting God to do what only God can do, Solomon begins to trust in his own ability to negotiate to make treaties. But the reason these treaties are so unpopular to God is because often a treaty between king and another king would be sealed with a marriage covenant between Israel's king and the king that he's made a, 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 a treaty with. There, there, there would be an exchange, a marriage covenant, not made between kings, but in this case, a, a daughter of Pharaoh. So Solomon, in this moment, he marries Pharaoh's daughter, then he brings her to the city of David until he'd finished building his own house and the house of the Lord and the walls of Jerusalem. Now, the reason this is problematic for God, it's not because God doesn't like foreigners. Come on, somebody. God loves foreigners. God loves everybody. God's heart is for all people. For God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son. So, so, so that's not the reason this is so problematic. The reason it's problematic is found in Deuteronomy chapter 7, verses 3 and 4, when God says to the kings, do not intermarry with foreigners, do not give your daughters to their sons, or take their daughters for your sons. Here's why. For they will turn your children away from following me. Because they're going to bring with them foreign worship and foreign ideas and, and foreign gods and idol worship. And eventually, listen, it's important who you spend time with. It's important who you eventually marry and, and you want to do, do the rest of your life with. It's important because if you're not aligned spiritually, eventually what tends to happen is, is the person that doesn't share your values and your love for the Lord will eventually begin to pull you down. God says, I don't want your, your children's hearts to be turned from me. I don't want to see my people begin to serve other, other gods. And, and so if this happens, the Lord's anger will burn against you and will quickly destroy you. In other words, God's saying, I want you to be mindful of, of who you bring into your home. I, I want you to be mindful as to who you marry and, and who you marry your daughters off to. Listen, listen, church, if you're a parent, one of the most important prayers a parent can pray is for the spirit the future spouse of your kids. And I know we as parents don't like to think about our kids getting married off, especially when they're young. Like, I don't want to think about that. We need as parents to begin to pray for the, their future husband, their future wife, that they would walk with the Lord and, and love the Lord and, and share our children's love for God. Solomon, he knows what God has said. He's not ignorant the commands of God. Yet apparently he must view this treaty as being more important in this moment than his remaining faithful to the Lord. This, this one time and this one small way, and I would, I would submit to you it was not 
Solomon's intent to turn from God. It was not his intent to, to dishonor the Lord. But how many of you know that even people who love the Lord sometimes do real dumb things? Even people who love the Lord sometimes make pretty bad decisions. Solomon is no different. In this moment, Solomon fails to heed his own advice. Guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. Nobody intends to stray from God who loves God. Nobody intends to, to, to crash and burn. Nobody gets married with the hope that that marriage will end in divorce. Nobody starts a business with the hope that, you know, I, I can maybe make some shady business deals and drive it to the ground. Nobody builds a reputation for himself, herself, with the hope that, man, if I can just make a, a few really poor decisions, I, I, I want to make sure at the end of my life my, my reputation is just completely annihilated. Nobody starts off that way. Solomon, the, the wisest man ever to live, he doesn't start off that way. But when you read the end of Solomon's story, what started off with one small diversion from the word of God, and then two, and then 10, and then a 1,000. Eventually, it says of Solomon that the Lord became angry with Solomon because his heart had turned from the Lord, the God of Israel, who appeared to him twice and commanded him concerning this, that he should not go after other gods, but he did. Did not keep what the Lord had commanded. Therefore, the Lord said to Solomon, because you've done this and have not kept my covenant and my statutes, which I have commanded you, I will surely tear the kingdom away from you and give it to your servant. What happens at the end of Solomon's story is it's not just that the kingdom is taken from him. The kingdom is divided in two. Solomon is the last king to reign over a united Israel. Israel is now divided in two, which weakens the nation and makes it all the more easy for in the future the enemies of Israel to come and conquer her one half at a time. So it's not just Solomon and his family that suffers. It is all the people, the nation that he leads. Solomon, who started off well. Solomon, who loved the Lord. Solomon, who received more wisdom from God than anybody at any time. Solomon, who had incredible wealth and influence and credibility among the nations. Yet whereas blessing will always follow obedience, there will always be consequence for disobedience. And Solomon learns this quite one of the things we can learn from this king is that nobody fails in a day. Nobody ever fails in a day. There are always many smaller moments that lead to that one big, great, defining moment. There are always many small decisions that lead to that one fateful nail in the coffin decision. Nobody ever fails in a day. At the end of the day, I believe one of the enemy's most winning tactics against the people of God, people who love God, is the way he seduces God's people one small step, one tiny deviation at a time. Seduction is one of our enemy's most skilled weapons. Because to be seduced, you're not given the opportunity to throw your life away in a day. 
You're not given the opportunity to drive your marriage into divorce. You're not given the opportunity to lose credibility among all your friends and coworkers and neighbors and everybody you've had influence with. What you're given is an opportunity to indulge just for a moment. To deviate ever so slightly, nobody even might recognize that you've deviated ever so slightly just this one time in this tiny, small way. Because the enemy hates your love for God. He hates your devotion to the Lord. He can't stand people who follow God. And he knows he can't trick you into just simply walking away from God. So he'll seduce you slightly. He'll tempt you slowly. Like the way you, you boil a frog in hot water. You don't throw a, a living frog into boiling water. He'll jump right out. You'll never get him. But if you put him in water and you slowly turn the dial up, just, just little by little by little, eventually that frog, he'll never try to escape. You'll boil him alive. He'll, he won't even recognize that he's being boiled because you, you gradually turned up the dial. This is what the enemy does to all of us. And I want to give you three things that might help you recognize not if you are being seduced, but, but, but when you are, because you will be seduced by the enemy. Three things I think we can learn from the wisest fool of all. And the first is this, that you know you're being seduced when sin seems like a good idea. And I would just define sin simply as this. Any slight deviation from God's word, from God's will, from God's way, is sin. Whether slightly or severely, any deviation from God's word is sin. Now for Solomon, he knew what God had commanded. He understood <laughs> the challenge, the warning, the, the command, the, 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 the issue. He, he, he knew it quite well, and maybe Pharaoh's daughter was smoking hot and he just couldn't help himself. Maybe he thought this treaty was really going to mean something for Israel and it would eventually mean something for Israel. It would mean that Israel would become divided and eventually conquered. But we knew that Solomon was, was aware of the compromise because he says in 2 Chronicles chapter 8, my wife must not live in the palace with me. Why? Because the places that the ark of the Lord has entered are holy places. So we know that Solomon's got this issue in his heart because he knows, hey, it's a treaty. It's how this works. I might be deviating, but it's just this once. But here's how I'm going to justify this compromise. I'm not going to bring this unholy woman into the holy place of God. And yet eventually, she would make her way into the palace grounds. And eventually, it would not just be one foreign woman walking the palace grounds, but a thousand foreign women Roaming the palace grounds, Solomon goes from one to a thousand, not in 60 seconds, not overnight, but over time. Because nobody fails in a day. Church, in the world today and even in the church today, we have deviated from the word of God 
An entire generation has been convinced that so many sins that are clear-cut throughout the Word of God are no longer really sin, sin that grieves the heart of God, have, have lost their stigma, and I'll give you an example that follows directly the slippery slope of Solomon, and that is who you choose to live with and win. It's not uncommon for couples who are dating today to live together. It should be uncommon in the church. It should be. The world's rule is before you get married, go ahead and try it out. God's word says boyfriends ought not have husband privileges. Come on, somebody. God's word says sex is meant for marriage and marriage only. It's not meant to lead into marriage or to be outside of your marriage. Wisdom says it's hard to stay pure when you're sleeping in the same bed. I have Christian friends who've, who've said, Pastor Chad, you know, what, what, do you, what do you think about this? Like, we're, we're, we're trying to do the right thing. We're not married yet. We still live together. We still sleep in the same bed, but, but, but you know, we're, not, we're not having sex. And I'm like, you're a fool. <laughs> like, good luck with that. Like, you're just setting yourself up to fail. The court of public opinion has changed people's minds about certain issues because apparently today we're more enlightened than anybody who's ever lived. We're more enlightened than God, and it's better we define morality than God. And even in the church, this mindset is taking root, and yet I just don't see it in the Bible. Thou shalt be flexible and change with the time. What I see in the word of God is thou shalt have no other gods before me. That's what I see in his word. Even if she's smoking hot. Come on, somebody. What I see in the word of God is but among you there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality. Not even a hint of. Or any kind of impurity or greed because these are improper. They're unfortunately not uncommon, but they're improper for God's holy people. Or do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers. Pause. In our world today, in this culture, let me just ask you a question. Is there anything considered sexually immoral in our culture today? Because according to the word of God, there is such a thing as sexual immorality, and yet we live in a world and in a culture today that to label anything as being sexually immoral, you, you're instantly written off or you're labeled a hateful person or you're narrow-minded or, or it, it can be much, much worse. But he says, neither the sexually immoral nor idolaters nor adulterers nor men who have sex with men nor thieves nor the greedy nor drunkards nor slanderers nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. The word of God says that the acts of the flesh are obvious. They, they ought to be obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, pause. I told you I don't know the result of the election. This message was recorded this past Tuesday, but I can pretty much guarantee you even in the church, there are people spouting off their mouth and their opinions and their vitriol on social media right now, disparaging people who didn't vote like you wanted them to, disparaging whoever it is in the White House. And that may be common in the world today, but it must not be common in the church. That's not what we ought to be known for. Because we know that there is no authority except from God. And I'm not called as a Christ follower to like who's in the White House, but I am commanded to honor him or her. 
Jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, let me just say something we said last week, that it's not, it's not, the, it's not the sin, it's not that you've sinned, because all sin will be forgiven the moment you, you take it to Jesus. Come on, church. Like, it's not the sin, it's your response to the sin. It's not, did I do anything on this list, now I can't get to heaven. Come on, we've all done something on this list. We're all going to do something on this list. But what is your response to sin? Do you embrace it? Or does it break your heart because you know it breaks the heart of God because you know what forgiveness cost him and you know how Jesus suffered so that the moment you called upon his name, your sin would be forgiven. You know what he did for you. You know how he sacrificed. You know the pain that he endured, the suffering that he willingly took on for you and for me. It's not just have you ever done anything on this list. It's it's what have I done with my sin? Have I held on to it or have I placed it under the shed blood of Jesus on the cross? The, the, The only name, the only one, the only king who has the power and the ability to cleanse me from the inside out and forgive me of my sin. Embracing sin and redefining sin is not the answer. Repenting of sin is the answer. Sin is never a good idea, no matter how well it's been packaged, no matter how widely accepted it is. Doesn't matter what the world does. We're not the world. We're in it. We're not of it. Amen. Here's the second one. You know you're being seduced when the the word of God seems less and less relevant to you. When your worldview is being shaped by CNN and and not by this book from literally beginning to end, you're on a slippery slope, my friend. It's no wonder you're lost. Your worldview is being shaped by the world around you and not the word of God. Every attempt by Satan to seduce believers will include an attempt to undermine the word of God. It's why if you look at the first sin all the way back in the book of Genesis, Satan asks Eve a question. He said, Does, did God really say? He doesn't, he doesn't approach Eve and say, doesn't this piece of fruit look real good right now? You ought to take a bite. He doesn't say, do you really think God will find out. He, he doesn't say, if it's in your heart, then do it, Eve. Come on. He doesn't say, don't listen to God. He just says, did God really say? Because if I can get you to question God's word in this moment, I can get you to question his word in any moment. Today, it might sound like in your life, like this, do you think, don't you think God understands how you feel? Don't you think God just wants you to be happy? Don't you think that because times have changed, God's mind has changed too? Do you really think a book written thousands of years ago can speak to the situation of your life today? I do. If this book was written by the same God who spoke the universe to be and everything to be and and took took a a, a lump of sand and and a lump of dust, a lump of dirt and created a human being out of it and breathed within us the breath of life, if God can do that, I believe he can preserve a simple book just like he said he would. I believe it. I believe it. But every attempt of the enemy 
to cause you to stray. He, he, will get, he will get you to question the word of God. Deuteronomy 17, the, the, the advice to a king, the command to a king, God said, you must not take many wives or, or your heart will be led astray. Solomon says, hey, but this treaty's so important. I'm not sure this is relevant. Besides, I'm not taking many wives. I'm just taking one until it's one more and then one more, and he ends up with 700 wives, which is 699 too many, and 300 concubines, which is 300 too many. The king must not acquire great numbers of horses for himself. He must not accumulate large amounts of silver and gold. Solomon did both. When he takes the throne of his kingdom, he is to write for himself on a scroll a copy of this law. It is to be with him, and he is to read it all the days of his life. Because even the wisest man who's ever lived can't follow a word that he's never read and, can't, and can't, can't remember a word that he doesn't go back and read again. And church, we don't have the luxury to claim ignorance in this generation when we have more access to the word of God than any generation who's ever come before us. The problem is not our access to the word. The problem is this book takes up more dust than it, than it does bring life into our homes because we don't open it, we don't read it, we don't digest it, we don't dwell upon it, we don't look to it like we should. This word is to be with you. You're to read it all the days of your life that you might learn to revere the Lord your God. Follow carefully, not some, but all the words of his law, the decrees, and don't consider yourself better than anybody else. Solomon did that too. And not only does Solomon consider himself better than other people, Solomon considers himself the best. Which leads me to point number three. You know you're being seduced when your glory becomes more important to you than God's glory. You see, Solomon, he, it's not just that riches and women and power became more his delight than God himself, but he really started to think a whole lot of himself. And whereas in the beginning he said things like, I'm just a kid, I don't know how to lead. It's, it's your people, you've placed me here. Over the next seven chapters, his heart becomes more and more full of himself. Matter of fact, six times during the dedication of the temple, Solomon said, I have surely built you an exalted house. I have built the temple for the name of the Lord. Behold, heaven and the heaven of heavens can't contain you, much less this temple that I have built. Literally, Comparing what he built, not just to heaven, but to the heavens of heavens. I, look what I, I, look what I did. Look what I built. Look how great I am. Church, when the word I begins to replace the word we, and when the word I begins to replace the word God, there is something terrible happening inside of your heart. Solomon says, so I became greater than all. And my wisdom never failed me. Not, not your wisdom that you gave me. My wisdom never failed me. By the end of his reign, this incredibly wise 
king unlike any before him and unlike ever since forgot the very first principle of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. You know who wrote that? Solomon wrote that. But a king who started off well, he started off loving the Lord more than anyone and anything, and all he wanted to do was please God. He got caught up in the seduction of wealth and the seduction of power and the seduction of women, and he eventually lost his way. And He lost the kingdom. The kingdom was divided, and eventually the kingdom was conquered. Starting off well doesn't mean you'll finish well. But I can guarantee you today you will finish well should you walk in the way of the Lord, should you follow his word, should you fear God more than anything, more than anyone, should you put him first and read his word and study his word and and absorb his word and don't stray from his word and you too will be successful in all that you do and wherever you go if you honor his word if you do this that's the promise God gave to Solomon that's the promise God is giving to you and it doesn't mean you won't ever fall short but when you do you know where to turn it it doesn't mean you you won't stray at times and in seasons of life, but you always know where home is. You're not afraid of your father in heaven because you know his heart is for you and not against you. You know where to turn to when you need the forgiveness of sins to cover you and overwhelm you. You know where to run to when you need an extra dose of grace in your life. You know where to turn when you need to experience the love and the power, the provision, the protection, the the, the good work in the presence of God who is for you, who is with you, who covers you, who has a plan and a purpose for your life, who's not turned his back on you, who will not forget you, who will not forsake you. You want to finish well, trust him. You want to finish well, follow him. You want to finish well, honor him. And don't turn your back on him because he's not turned his back on you. Would you bow your heads with me wherever you are right now? Lord, I know there's a lot of people who are watching today. And I know there's a lot of things that have come to mind likely in many hearts and in many homes, ways we've fallen short and ways we've missed that. God, may we repent of our sin and turn to you. Choosing to to walk with you now doesn't mean I'll walk with you perfectly. There's nobody perfect. There's nobody good except for you alone. But it means I acknowledge that your way is better than my way. It's better than the world's way. Your word is a word that I can embrace and trust and learn from and, and grow from. You might be here today and you'd say, I I don't know if I've ever been forgiven. The Bible says when you confess with your mouth and you believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive you your sins. Would you just say, Jesus, here I am. I I trust you. 
Forgive me of my sin. Cleanse me from the inside out. Jesus, who lives for me, who died on a cross, was buried and resurrected for me, who who is seated at the right hand of God the Father, right now interceding for me. I trust you as Lord and Savior of my life. I will follow you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name, everyone said,